I'll be reading the later sections of a new book called Tiepolo's Hound. Um, I just want to say a few words before I start to set it up. Many years ago, when I, on my first visit to the States, I went to probably the Met and saw a painting in which what staggered me was the stroke that the painter had taken to make the light on the inside of a dog's thigh. And the exactness of it was staggering because it wasn't only the stroke, the simplicity and power of it, but the accuracy of the color of the paint which contained light in it. And that has haunted me for a very long time. It doesn't mean I don't sleep because of it. (laughs) But as I began to work on my painting more, um, and because I was going to do a book with pictures, then this became much more formidable as a problem because I still have not found the dog, the image of the dog. I've looked, and I've been told by other people where to look. The painter, I thought, who had done it was either Tiepolo or Veronese. I used to say Veronese until I got sophisticated. And actually, Veronese makes for some funny rhymes, like take it easy and so forth. Um, So I think, and I have the privilege of being metaphysical. I'm up here in a single spot, so I can do that. Um, There's something baffling. If I was wrong, in the angle that the dog was painted at, and I'm sure that that was the angle, looking backwards, uh, looking at the dog with his head inside up the painting, that that's what I saw. I've never found it. So what is real? Is my memory wrong? As memory can be wrong. It's very much the condition that happens in dreams, but it was not a dream because I did see the dog. Um, as I said, I don't pace the beach up and down saying, you know, where is this thing? Um, but it is baffling. And this section deals with the fact that I arrived ultimately, inevitably, like anyone else in Venice, which I had avoided the idea of for a long time because I thought I never want to write the word Venice because I'm a West Indian. What am I doing writing Venice for? Um, <clears throat> Maybe Venice, California, but not the other one. Um, this feels good. I feel like a sit-down comedian. That's good. <laughs> good audience. Yeah. Maybe I'll give this up. I'll just give you a few jokes. <clears throat> At any rate, I was invited to Venice uh, to the same place where my good friend Joseph Brodsky had gone so often, although he's not mentioned here. And um, there was down the road uh, a church in which the painting by Veronese, uh, Feast in the House of Levi, is there. And the painter to whom the dog is ascribed is either, as I said, Tiepolo or Veronese. 
So in going to Venice, I looked around a little, but the dog was not in the painting. Um, maybe I don't want to find it. And it began to mean more as I wrote the poem until I thought, well, it's smaller than Melville's white to whatever, so. <clears throat> so it's a shorter book. It's just a dog. It's not a whale. <clears throat> the backfiring engine of the Vaporetto scumbled the reflections of her palaces. The wake braided its hair. Now I would get to the roaring feast with its fork-bearded faces. The emerald sleeve of the immense lagoon shone on a wriggling wall where she would turn from the pearl drops on her embroidered gown while water lapped the landing with its tongue. A gondola's crescent shell, the quarter moon, slid with its delving prow, dividing coin minted at sunrise, melting the lagoon with alchemy where sky and water joined. Through some canal's embroidery, I thought, I'll trace the thread that carries memory back to the original where one stroke caught the bright vermilion of the white hound's thigh. Behind these lace palazzos was the work that chance had brought me closer to. Aboard the lace perspective, widening in the wake of the warping ferry, my hope was restored. That in the mesh of sunlight, which was Venice, whose gulls and pilings mimicked the standards of the Doge's galleons, proving that empires vanish while water has one tense and cannot run backwards, from a small colony with no book for a guide, I would discover in some flaking church with peering pilgrims scuffling inside water-webbed walls the creature of my search. I sat in the small square trying to control a sense of swaying on its grid of stone. Guadi passed, gliding in a gondola. To walk in Venice seemed a contradiction. Benches and flagstones were moored in water on either side. Creaking awnings were slow barges sails. I arrived after my body as from a boat. Mornings lit a red wall whose window framed a terrace set with white tables in a bower of grapes. My gestures occupied a painted space in the carved orb that St. Mark's lion grips. A flag's cheeks filled with wind. Light shaped the square. A strenuous fountain failed to touch the sky. Pigeons exploded, darkening the bright air and settled on a bridge short as a sigh. One block from our small brown pensione were frescoes of the Veronese Museum, the stage where he too disembarked, ignored, to enter with gaping tourists in his own pilgrimage. What was this strange transaction? What bronze horse arched over a square's traffic was my own imagination's envy? Was Venice's force a slow surrendering, an astonished groan of irresistible light, 
but water, writing reflections, signatures, no more denying my joy in the pigeon-alighting piazza, the columns pouring lion. The rainbow oils in wobbling canals off the lagoon's wide stretch, whose tench is as legendary as its pastel walls and ornate landings. The festering Venice I was prepared for was an odorless light wavering from painted moorings like a net, till all that splendor tired with its delight, glazed as a fresco with its spray still wet. Venice was both itself and a catalogue of reproductions, but I had lost the page in that book of cravens where the spectral dog haunted dark holes, and I felt the old rage at my stubborn uncertainty. Research could prove the hound the Tiepolos or Veronese's, but I refused. Faith was a closed church, like my old treasury of masterpieces. Since that book of prints, I had carried in my head the saffron ceiling of my skull's rotunda, with the souls of martyrs ascending in parted clouds in radiant conversion. But for this wanderer, only a specter counted, the hunched phantom at the feast's surfeit, not saints possessed by their own radiance. Should the hound come nibbling my hand's wafer, it would be blessed. But I felt that had I stalked it, the spectral dog would hide in a forest of hose, peering behind the folded dog's ear of a catalogue, then bolting off, catching my scent upwind. I moved her image as one might a chess piece, looking over her emerald sleeve with parted lips. The white wolf, eyes slits, nudging her knees, the windowed ruby glass from which she sips. The wolfhound skinned its teeth in a snaring curse as I approached the wall. I was there alone. My shadow joined the feast, then on the fresco's wall, a door opened and the dog was gone. The white dog turned and leapt from the fresco to trot head nodding through a shadowy scene, a lapping canal leaving the echo of a white silhouette where it had been, as if its outline had been drawn in error to be repainted by its maker's hand, crouched in a doorway where a spectral terror it guarded memory like a real hound. What if at the maze's end I did not encounter the hound in profile and graceful in its arc with its brightened thigh? At least I could recount the flame that had led me, a tongue in the dark, as a lamp of Eurydice's hair led Orpheus to Mercury's whispering winged feet through the gloom, or better still, in the morn's deepening dusk, a palm shields a match and a lamp warms a room. The growing cloud of doubt gathered its pace across intellectual brightness. Dyslexic fog furred and obscured the edge of a fresco's surface. Was I scared to death to find this bone-white dog? Devoted as a candle to its church, the thigh flared steadily, more affliction than quest now. I would end my search if faith were just the fiction of a fiction. The dog was ageless, not I, its beholder, in the shuffling crowd. Was I afraid to meet my white-haired love, looking over her shoulder, paused on a marble couplet at the Met? Cowardice, stubbornness, indifference made too much of the whiteness of the hound, whose reproduction in some book of prints of sacred frescoes 
I have never found until I doubt the very beast's existence as much as mine sometimes, like the white sound made by a snowfall on a winter fence, the thunder of my shadow on white sand. Preserve it with the details of a dream, as in a dream the roaring voiceless feast, white hand, white hound as I remembered them, Dominus Canae, the rechristened beast. Why at the house of Levi, though, unless in all the autumnal riot of the house, Sephardic guests in silvery coined Venice were welcome then, and a few turbaned moors. His reputation on a dagger's point, jealousy's swirling cloak and envy's ambush in liquid alleys only brightened his paint despite these dangers. What came from his brush? A feast to flatter one luxurious Jew who paved his acclamation with new coin like sunrise on the square with crumbs he threw to applauding pigeons seasoned in their scorn. This vast, blasphemous fresco, hasn't he learned from the foul-mouthed canals of his disgrace to comport himself? This dish of water meant for a lapping hound flung in the church's face. The visitor to Venice becomes a student of water in its biography, which is life made easy by gossip. I heard this later from waves that whispered, Paolo Cagliari Veronese, a sculptor's son, was for feasts in the house of Levi, charged by the Inquisition for irreverence. <clears throat> Too Semitic in a symmetry? Who knows? I saw a white crow's mask on the face of Venice. Painting releases our benign surprise at a coal face while we take a white hand of hound for granted. But what if among three magis in the rush manger, one lifts a black hand? I ravaged a volume on Tiepolo later. I was searching for myself now, and I found the meeting of Antony and Cleopatra. I was that gray moor clutching a wolfhound. Tan and excitable, the dog frets at her, the queen gliding in jewels on her train. Venice is dimming, her diadems in eclipse, her fleet foundering at Actium. Once again, the pages turn their sails. This time, the banquet of Antony and Cleopatra. Here, the queen poises a pearl over a goblet. In the quiet, a moor in a doublet and brown hound frame the scene. This was something I had not seen before, since every figure lent the light perfection that every hound had its attendant more, restraining it with dutiful affection. I riffled through the derisive catalogue, determined that the fact was not a vision. The dog, the dog, where was the fucking dog? <laughs> Their posture's wrong, nothing confirmed my version. The prince confirmed his debt to Veronese, his distant master, tiringly inspired. He learned from him to keep his gestures busy and the light clear. By now he has acquired the weight and flourish of a public syntax, Veronese with colloquial scholarship. The repetition of deep-fissured backs and saffron clouds bearing their virgin up. Enormous banners gusting in the wind. Golden clouds lift the apostolic host, their postures born from Veronese's mind. He is their shaper, their instructive ghost. Bright-bellied stallions neigh, and chariots stir, tinted smoke, not dust. Their pawing hooves trample the light. The bright rotunda riots with fury that is motionless but moves. O oh, turbulence, astounding in its stasis. 
O bright and paradisal wind, conveying the swirl of robes, the light uplifted faces in the clouds core, ascending and yet staying, with their bare souls as if their legions spun like leaves in an autumn dust, but noiselessly, a saffron glow, not from our mortal sun that sets and rises, shadowless ecstasy, ordained we understand that orthodox depiction, but joy carries it away to weightless grace, the way a pilgrim walks on cloud paths to the Holy Family. They evolve via Veronese, his bodies that tumble in bright buoyancy and lift above cloud chasm the crevices, their robes in a vertiginous argosy, his putty light and smooth as bubbles blown by a saffron wind. It is always late afternoon in his paradise, in the blessed stone bay of a ceiling busy with its freight, Venice inverted, hectic with the sails of crossing saints, and above them the star of the coined water, weighed in her scales, commerce and faith, money and mystery. Dante in paint, but not quite paradise, yet there is a fixed sublime in Tiepolo, whose light is always a little before sunset, a sweet dissolving like high summer snow, a vision so acclimatized to faith and orthodoxy that when we look on her, we see a breathless beauty without breath, the infant cradling, cloud-enthroned Madonna. I had followed in the footsteps of the hound, and not the hound, my shadow. The hound was white. If that were all, nothing had been found. It stands as still as when he painted it. I still believe it's phantom and the event that from apprenticeship led me so far, when the bright startling thigh before me went like its own candle, separate, secular. Where had it led me the desperate, tenuous claim, the thread that kept its labyrinthine course through the brocaded channels whose jewels flame when sunrise strikes the water with such force? To history, a bellowing minotaur pursued and slain, following as termites do those furrowing tunnels, couplets, to where this mixed-up sanity made by the two coupling worlds, a beast in the shaft of light, trample its filth, a beast that was my fear, myself, my craft, not the white, elegant wolfhound at the feast. If recognition was the grace I needed to elevate my race from its foul lair, by prayer, by poetry, by couplets repeated over its carcass, I was both slain and slayer. Time swung its pendulum's axe through any weather. It swayed inside my heart. I heard it where the dial stared, then brought its palms together at noon and midnight in a steepled prayer. Thank you.